Hello, I'm Sarah McGinn and you're listening to Life's Too Short. You've lost them. You know, you don't deserve to lose yourself as well. And your loved one does definitely not want you to do that. This is the very last episode of the first season and I wanted to start by saying just how grateful I am for everyone who shared their story, who've listened to the stories, who've messaged about the stories. It's all meant so much. I'll be back with season two over the coming months. So if you're not yet following on Instagram, please head over to at Life's Too Short podcast to follow and keep up to date with the release of season two. And if there is anything or anyone you'd like to hear on season two, please just pop me a message. On today's episode, I speak with Kira O'Malley. Kira tragically lost her partner of 10 years, David, in a drowning accident when they lived in Canada. She speaks with me today about how her grief took over her life in the time after she lost David, but how now she feels guided by both her grief and her partner in what she does in her everyday life. She harnessed that grief into writing and released a book in 2021, Miracles Appear When Loved Ones Are Near. A story about grief, empowerment and enlightenment that helps people seek their own inner strength in the harshest of times. How Kira speaks about grief and hope in this episode is really inspiring. I hope you can take what you need from this conversation too. Kira, hello. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Life's Too Short. How are you doing? I'm doing really, really good now. And thank you so, so much for asking me to be on. I'm just, I'm privileged. So thank you. I've actually listened to your podcast even before kind of I set up this podcast as well. And I've just found how you talk about grief. It's so interesting. And you've such a great perspective on things that have happened in your life over the last number of years. And it's it's really beautiful to listen to. So so thank you for coming on here today to share. So we're here today to talk about David, your partner, who died probably about six years ago now. But I would love to hear about, you know, your guys' relationship, how you met, when you met, the type of person that he was, just as much as you're comfortable sharing. So, yeah, David, uh, myself and David met um, when I was 17 and he was coming 17 and we met at uh, Saw Doctor's concert down in Mayo. He was just so kind. I remember I was looking for my jacket. And it was actually my mother's jacket. And you know, at the time you were out, like you, you, you had to be on your best behavior. I was like, if I go home without that jacket, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> and David was helping me look. And I was like, oh my God, like it was, I, I thought he was like beautiful. And then he was helping me and I was like, oh my God. And we found the jacket. After that, we started going out and we were both in school at the time yeah, somehow that turned into 10 years and David was from like the town beside where I live. So we were really lucky, like we lived near each other. He was just a really kind person. And I suppose even sharing how I met, you know, with the help me find the jacket. He was off a crack. He loved life and he loved football. And I used to joke that throughout all the 10 years, I was his other girlfriend and football was the first girlfriend. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, but uh, like he loved it and it just filled his heart up. So yeah, we went through college together and we like to make things a little bit difficult for ourselves. And I went up to Donegal and he went down to Galway. I remember getting the bus down often from Donegal on a Thursday evening and it would take like four and a half hours to go down to Galway to come back to Mayo then on Friday with him. I was sure I just loved it. So I was delighted. We then, I suppose, moved to Dublin together. And I remember we were living in Dublin and we were happy out, like we were both working in jobs we loved. And we ended up then moving to Canada. And I suppose we were so excited because we'd been with each other for so long, but it was just a real adventure and we were actually doing it. We didn't know anyone over there. And... David was mad for skiing. Like we were polar opposites. Like he loved like doing all the mad adventure things. And I'd be like, oh, I don't know what I would do now. Should you be doing that? Like, but we were a really good pair and we worked like, we worked really well. So yeah, I suppose that's what kind of took us on to Vancouver. 
anyone who knows David or who met him, they'll always look back and they'll be like, do you know what? There was something just so special about him. And it's kind of hard. Like he had, he just had a presence. And I remember we were in the airport a few years ago and I was just walking beside him. And next thing I turned to look at him and he was holding a baby. He was holding this random woman's baby. And I remember looking at him and he was looking at me and the lady was pulling the suitcase and David was walking, holding the baby. And he was just looking at me and I was like, how, <laughs> how is this like? And, you know, the three of them and me plodding along. And I think that just really sums him up and his his energy that like, you know, that lady somehow trusted him or felt safe or something about his energy. You wouldn't just give anyone your child randomly in an airport. Well, I wouldn't anyway. You know, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like he was a very, very special person. And even more so, it sounds like you guys had such a special connection, like to meet as teenagers when it's such a pivotal moment in your life, you know, you're, you're becoming the people that you're going to be stepping into, you know, at 17 years old, you're still, you're learning and you're growing and then you used to meet and you know, almost, it sounds like immediately that you are kind of meant to be and you're meant to have this adventure. Obviously, that's not as long as you wanted it to be and, and you both probably want it to be, but so special to kind of grow up together. Yeah, yeah. Now, we did kill each other as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. That's, that's the reality of relationship. Yeah. But like, you know, as you said, like to go to go through, I think, being a teenager and going through college, we both know, do you know, we, we, we knew we were invested in this. We're like, actually, we're, we were lucky at such a young age to have found, you know, a relationship and a, and a love like that. So, yeah, we were very, we were very lucky. And you say then that um, you moved to Canada. What, what year was this? So, yeah, so we moved to Canada in February 2017 and we went to Vancouver and we set up base and everything just started working out. Like the two of us at one stage, I remember us sitting in the, like we'd found an apartment by the sea and we had both got jobs that we really liked. And we were just like, geez, everything's just landing on our feet. And we met amazing people. David was mad into football and I hadn't played football in years, really. I, I didn't really ever play football, but I started playing for like the local women's team. And sure, David used to be bringing me out to the local pitch and he'd be teaching me how to solo. And oh, like it was just hilarious. Like, but we built up amazing connections and we did loads, like I suppose, it's a different way of life out there. You know, like there's a lot of outdoor stuff, hiking, cycling. And I suppose we only ended up really being there five months. But in those five months, I swear we did more than I think anyone would do in a year. I remember one Saturday morning and we'd been out the night before. All I wanted was a lie in. And I said to David, and he was like, right, come on, we've got to go now. We've got to go hire a car. We've got this, you know. I was like, please, can we have a lie in? And he was like, he'd be like, come on, Kira, like we're here. We have to make the most of it. And like his energy alone would got me out of the bed, you know, and she read a great day. But I get great comfort in that now because I suppose I believe that was his soul being like, it's like nearly he knew that he had to really savour and make the most of life and do all the things that he wanted to do. Do you know yeah. um, if that makes sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. I really get an idea of the energy that he had, which is wonderful, like get up and go, uh, kind of take every day. I know you just, you mentioned there that you were only in Canada for five months before David passed and it was quite unexpected. With as much detail as you want to get into, do you want to kind of describe the day it happened? Yeah, so... The day it happened, it was June 30th. It was actually my birthday. And the two days before that David had left, he was going to a tournament in Calgary. He was playing for one of the local teams. And I remember weeks before that, like he was telling me the tournament was on and I was like, oh, Dave, like, you can't leave. Like, it's my birthday. Who am I going to hang out with? Like, and I suppose it just turned out that you know, we had met such amazing people that he was 
happy out to be heading off with the lads and all the people he had met. And I was in Vancouver and I had organised with a group of girls and a group of people. We were going to the beach to have a barbecue and have a few drinks. So we were both happy out. And on that particular day, I was on some kind of high. Oh, I just felt so happy because I was like, oh my God, a few weeks ago, I thought I wouldn't be able to be here by myself. I thought nobody'd even be there to hang out with. And I was kind of like proud of, I suppose, me and David. And you know that we were both, we came together, but we had, we'd built up a support network. And I remember ringing him and I rang his phone and it just rang out and he was staying in like um, a place the night before and I had been chatting to him and I didn't think anything off. I just said, you know what, he'll ring me back. Maybe he doesn't have coverage or whatever. And I was so oblivious and I was in the apartment getting ready. And I remember getting a phone call from one of the girls and she goes, oh, Kira, we're on the way over now. And I remember like laughing and I remember thinking they are never early. Like, what the hell? So in my head, I was like, this day just gets better because they're actually on time. And anyway, they all ended up coming and I opened the door and I remember thinking, why are all of them here? Like, what the hell? But again, I actually was on such a high. I remember thinking, oh my God, they have a present. This is why they're all here. And so they asked me to sit down on the couch and still I was like, oh, they're going to rock out now, a present or, you know. And I suppose instead they said, Kira, it's David. And the minute I heard it's David, it was like I went from that high to some other place. And... All I heard was, it's David, it's David. And I actually got up from the couch and I went into the bathroom. Even going to the toilet was my way of saying, I don't want to hear this. I, I don't want to hear whatever this is. And when I went out, I, you know, I, I suppose I got more information. David was involved in a drowning accident and he hadn't resurfaced. And I just broke down. I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, I rang one of the lads and sure, God loved them. You know, I'd say when they seen they heard me on the phone like they didn't know what to say but I needed to talk to someone who was there and I just said what's going on and and they just said Kira David you know he was with the lads uh, it was a warm day they were having the crack um you know David was jumping in the water to cool down and he hasn't resurfaced and they were like he's missing and I was like, oh my god okay and God loved them my friends were there and sure they were they were devastated, like, but they were just trying to keep me somehow together. And I was like pacing and I ran, I tried to get hold of the police. They told me, just wait in the apartment, we'll come over. And I remember thinking, like, why would I be waiting? Like where David's drowning accident had occurred was about a four and a half, five hour drive. So for me, I was like, I'm not going to wait here for a few hours if I can get in the car and get going. I suppose I'll show you how naive I actually was. And I remember thinking, okay, David, you know, he's swam off, he's resurfaced somewhere else and he's swimming and he's on an island and it's grand, it's going to be okay. And I was packing my bag and I remember putting eyelashes, like fake eyelashes into the bag. Again, thinking I'll be down there now a day, we'll find him, we'll come back. It's all going to be okay. But I suppose that wasn't the case. I had to do one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my whole life. I had to ring my own parents to go into David's parents, to tell them and God love them. Like, you know, I suppose no parent wants to hear their daughter on the phone in absolute bits telling them, you know, that her boyfriend has been involved in a drowning accident, you know. But then they had to go in you don't deliver that news on the phone. You know, they went in and spoke with David's parents. It was like my life went from feeling on this high, being like, oh my goodness, to actually stepping into some kind of nightmare really instantly and got in the car and we drove and I made contact with the RCMP and they were trying, I suppose, to emphasise to me how serious this was. And I was like, well, what can we do? Like, and do you know, they were like, well, we've someone coming and we're searching. I remember on the way down the car, 
I remember thinking, oh my God, just keep driving. Part of me was like, I don't ever want to land at this lake. It was horrendous when we landed. I think it was really dark. It was misty. There was nobody out looking for him. And my first reaction was to actually go onto the bridge. And I remember looking out and I was like, oh my dear God, like David is out there in the water somewhere. I suppose grief wasn't even really in the picture at that stage. It was just shock. Like I remember my body was feeling things in my body I had never, ever, ever felt before. And I remember it being so terrifying. I was like, oh my goodness, what, what is this? I suppose what we thought, you know, that day when I landed there, I remember thinking, okay, we might be here another day. What turned into another day turned into a month and then turned into two months with David's family coming out. We were so beyond blessed. And within the pain and the the tragedy, there was just so much love from the minute I landed at that lake, like even the the lads who were with David, like we all just came together and I suppose we all had a purpose and it was like to find David and a GoFundMe account was set up in Ireland and people donated from all over the world and that enabled us to get helicopters, to get a specialist dive team. Uh, We had robots that went under the water. Like we had the people who were the most specialised in this coming to help us. And we began to see very quickly that finding David, there was a lot of odds. Part of me did believe it was like, oh no, it's going to be grand. It's all going to be grand. And I remember one day, one of the RCMP said to me, he goes, you know, Kira, he said, this was always a recovery and never a rescue. And it was in that moment, I actually think my legs just buckled from under me. And it was like, I knew that to be true. But when I heard that, it was like, okay. And then I suppose it was for me, it was like, right, we need to find David's body and we need to bring him home. Yeah, Do you yeah. know? And so that was, uh, I, I was going to ask you, like what the point was where you realised, and it was probably your your mind and your body trying to protect yourself um, in the immediate shock of hearing such unexpected news. Do you know, you don't, I don't think that you would think that, you know, a tragic accident is going to happen. Like you think about diseases and stuff like that. And, but to actually think that it almost sounds like a kind of freak accident. And for that to happen, just so out of the blue and on your birthday, you just, I can't imagine the shock. And thank you so much for explaining it in so much detail. And I hope it goes without saying that I'm just so incredibly sorry that you had to go through that, that David had to go through that, that his family had to go through that. Just so, so difficult. I heard on a different interview that you did that David's body wasn't recovered for 10 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I suppose those 10 months were extremely, extremely difficult. When I went home to Ireland, I severely like suffered mentally. I really to be honest, I did not want to be here anymore. I was linked in with community mental health. And when we were, when David's accident happened, you know, we searched from June until September. And in them few months, I had a purpose. We all had a purpose and our purpose was to find David. So it kept us going. It gave us energy and adrenaline. And then when we came back to Ireland in September, we couldn't do anything because the lake was actually frozen. So there was nothing we could have done, no searching. So it wasn't like we chose, I suppose, the elements chose for us. It was like, so coming back to Ireland, I was like, where is, like, I had no purpose. I suppose everything was coming in on top of me. But through the pain, I have been so, so lucky and so, so blessed that, David had showed me early on, even being at the lake, he'd opened me up to something else, signs to 
this energy that I had never felt before. And and I remember I'd feel something different in my body. I'm like, what is this feeling? And it was like hope. Something within me was like, David is guiding me. David is still with me in some shape or form. And when I went back to Ireland, I was in my home house one evening and a person I would have known came and they told me, they're like, Kira, I need to talk to you. And I was like, what do you mean? And they said they could see David in spirit and that David was giving them messages and telling them that they had to keep an eye on me. And I remember being like, oh my God, this is so far out of my depth. Like, what do you mean messages? What do you mean you can see them? And I remember being heartbroken because I was like, how come you can see it? You know, I want to see him. I want him here in his physical self. And they gave me a written message. And I remember a few days later reading it and what they had written about nobody else could have ever, ever, ever known. And I remember being filled with so much emotion. I was like, this is David. I was like, this is David. And David can see me in bed at night, crying into my pillow, begging God or whoever's up there. I was like, David, is I'm not doing this by my own. So I was kind of doing a dance between, oh my God, I'm in horrendous pain. What is going on? And then things that happen, I'm like, oh my God, David is here. And I'll give you an example, which I think was a real big changer for me and and it just pushed me on to be like right Kira you gotta just keep moving forward keep the faith know you're going to find David I was at the side of the road I had been driving and it was lashing and I was really upset so I pulled in the side of the road and I remember getting a phone call from this person who David was connecting with in spirit and they said to me Kira, are you okay? You okay? And I couldn't even talk to them because I was just, you know, when you're so upset, they were like, David said to ring you, David said to ring you. And they could tell me exactly where I was. And nobody knew that day where I was going because I used to be quite bold. I just head off and they'd all be worried. Like, do you know when you're not in, in the right headspace? And I remember thinking, I was like, okay, I don't know what any of this means, but I know he's guiding me. So I suppose them 10 months were really, really hard and really difficult. But I was always met with another energy like, you know, and I've written a book and I share, I share some of the things that were, were crossed on my path. And it's like that within the pain and the grief, there was, there was magic and it was just, it was bizarre but I suppose it gave me the strength to go back then the following April. And when we went back the following April, I remember I was still linked in with Community Mental Health and I remember telling them, I was like, we're going to find David. And I told everyone, I had bought clothes to wear at David's funeral. We were having a funeral for David. And I remember like, you know, the people who loved me were really, really worried because they were like, what is she going to do if she doesn't find David but we did um, and now I know that was a miracle because we were up against every single odd possible yeah. you know all the services who supported us they thought we were mad even going yeah, back yeah. you know and do you feel at the time that was it almost like a second wave of grief so I suppose it was it was yeah. bittersweet. Um, I remember that's all we wanted, like, to you know, uh, even though really what we wanted was David back, but that wasn't going to happen. And the day we found him, I remember feeling, I was feeling grateful, but I was also feeling devastated because I was like, oh God, I can't deny David, this is real. Do you know? So I suppose when we found him, I had to sit into the grief and do a lot of um, healing. And I suppose before then, even though I was in a lot of pain and there's a lot of stuff coming, I don't think grief really surfaced until after we found him. Sometimes felt like I was going on a road that was going up and it was going down and it was bouncing and it was jumping. And after we found him, I struggled for a long time as well. I'd, I'd be jumping between, oh my God, this is so unfair. Like David is gone. My life is over. And then I, something would happen and a sign or something would happen. I'd be like, 
okay, I, I don't understand this. And I suppose for me, now looking back, it was like the gaps between that heavy grief and loss and the gaps between the, oh my God, what is this? Or the bit of hope or the signs. We started to like get a bit bigger. And for me, after we found him, I clung on to the grief and I was, it's like I was wearing it like an armour and I don't want to have a life here. I'm just going to plod along. And, you know, I, I was angry like and got really hard being that version of me because life was hard. And I think it was the second Christmas after we found him. It was an awful Christmas, like it was so bad. And I remember thinking it can't be any worse than the year before, but it was really, really, really bad. And again, my thoughts were, I can't do this. Oh my God, I'm I'm not even 30. Like, what if I live till I'm 80? Oh my goodness. And then at times, like things that happen, I'm like, oh, that's David. So it was, it was like a dance. You know, it just got too much. And I remember on, I think it was New Year's Day, I went into David's grave and I just literally, I literally nearly fell onto the grave. And I remember being like, can't do this anymore, David. I was like, my body couldn't do it anymore. I always think it was a real turning point for me in my healing journey and my spiritual journey, my journey to connect with David on an even deeper level. And I just let go. I'd say I couldn't imagine now David and was looking down being like, thank, holy God, thank God. She was going through so much, yet she was choosing more suffering than was needed. And everything changed for me. Like it was like, I don't know, I suppose I was willing, willing to grow and I was willing to make changes in my life and to let some of the anger and the guilt and the fear go. Time for a really quick break. This episode is proudly brought to you in partnership with new mindfulness brand, Pause Penny. Their gratitude and manifestation products help to simplify your at-home mindfulness practices. Over the last year, I really started to think about my own wellness. But to be honest, mindfulness was not something I'd ever really thought about. It's not something that I considered for myself. But what I love about the Pause Penny Gratitude Packs is that it allows me that time to focus, to take a break and think about what brings me joy in the everyday. And that's something I really needed. So if you have been looking to invest in your mindset, invest in your positivity in 2023, then head to pausepenny.com or check them out on Instagram at pause.penny. Now back to the chat. It's that removing the armour that's so interesting the way you described it as wearing an armor of grief because it is because when you are grieving those first few months are just they're so intense and but wearing that armor is almost a protection to you because you do become this different person afterwards and while you wear that armor of grief you don't have to become that person you're just the grieving person It's when you start to remove that. It's like, well, how do I go on now? How do I live my life now? What do I think in life now? And what what do I do? And you know, and then in the back of your head, you're always trying to honor this person that has that you've now lost. So taking off that armor is a really, really scary part of the grief journey. Can you describe that post, that turning point where you kind of said to yourself, okay, my life is going on here's how I'm going to live it. Yeah, I suppose the first thing, and you mentioned mindset. And again, I wasn't into any of this. I um, I remember finding a video on YouTube and it made me question, okay, where is my mindset at? What do I believe to be true about where I am right now? And when I questioned it and I wrote stuff down, it was like, oh my God, I believe that my life is over. I believe that it's never going to get any better. And I remember, I don't know, again, this was all new to me, but I remember watching that video. It was like, whatever you believe, it will be true for you. And I was like, oh God, I was like, I need to change that. So I slowly started making changes. And I remember finding about um, affirmations. And again, I was only doing this from videos I found on YouTube. And I remember the first one I started using was I am joy. Like I'm a bit of a devil when I'm, when I put my mind to something, I put all of me into it. So it was like 
I believe, you know, the, the energy of, you know, them 10 months finding David, it was like all the energy I put into that. It was like David was behind me like a force and he was like, right, you need to start putting this into you. And I remember I was working at the time and I'd be like in the car and be like, I'm joy, I'm joy, I'm joy, I'm doing my best. I'm, And in the beginning, I was like, there was a part of me that was absolutely allergic to all of this. I was like, oh my God, I don't believe this to be true. And of course, my body and, you know, everything was nearly rejecting it. But I was like determined. I remember going to this lady and I was doing Reiki and she told me, you know, try to do some meditation every day. And I remember being like looking at her and she was just looking back at me smiling. And I was like, do you know what goes on in this head? Like, do you know, like my mind was going mad. And she was like, just give it a go. And she kept smiling at me. And she also said to me something else. And I suppose I've been on a very spiritual inner journey. And she said to me, she goes, your soul always knew that this was part of your life's plan here. And between that and the meditation, I remember thinking, what is going on? Part of me was really triggered because I was like, soul's plan. And again, this was all new, but because I had surrendered, I wasn't resistant. I was like, okay, I don't understand this. But I remember being like driving home, being like, this, my soul always knew this was part of the plan. And Within a really short amount of time, really, when I think about it, within six months after I had surrendered and I was doing little bits, like I made massive leaps in my life. Like mentally, I I was in a really good place. And all I was really incorporating in was, you know, I was doing a bit of meditation every day. I had put on four and a half stone um, through grief because I suppose food was possibly one of the only things that gave me a bit of comfort. And I started walking and I started to lose weight. I was eating healthier. Um, But really going back to it on a deeper level, I was actually knowing that I was worthy, that I deserved to do more than just survive here. And that July, I went over to my sister and my friend in Melbourne. And I remember telling my sister, I was like, you're not going to recognize me because she had left um, a few months previous. And like, I think a part of her even felt bad leaving because I was in such a bad place. I was like, I promise you, you, you're not even going to know who I am. And I just was so determined. And it was like little things. I remember the day I first kind of felt like I felt joy in my life and I was like, and it was over something so small. I think it was, I was out walking or I felt the sun on my face. And I remember being like, oh my goodness, I didn't think I had the capacity to feel this again. And then I'd find something else, you know, I remember gratitude. I believe now that no matter where we are or what's going on in our life, there's always something that we can be grateful for. And back then, when I first brought gratitude in, I found it really hard because there was a bigger part of me in the beginning that was like, well, look, you know, what's happened to me? And, you know, and I started doing my gratitude every day. And again, all these things that I were incorporating in, I was consistently changing, putting a routine into my life. And it was just having massive knock-on effects and then I trained in Reiki because um, I had been going to like a lovely lady. And it was like, it just spiritually opened me up. And it was like, it was giving me permission to really look into everything that had happened and to see it at a much deeper level. And it started to bring me so much comfort. And I started to really be like, oh my God, when I started to train in the Reiki and spiritually kind of awaken, I started to find comfort in the fact that, oh my God, this had to happen the way it happened because this was how David chose it to happen and I chose it to happen. And again, I couldn't have came to that awareness until I was ready. This brings me so much comfort. Now, mm. David's last words before he was jumping in the water he turned to one of the lads and he said, this place is paradise. 
that was not one of the words David would have used. And now I know that that was his soul talking about the place he was going on to next. It was like, I believe, and I, sometimes I feel like I can nearly, I can nearly see it like, like him, his soul looking out being like, I'm going on to my next place here. And, you know, I said to you about how we crammed in so much here. It was like when I look back, David didn't want to have a going away party, but of course I organised one and we had one and every single significant person was there. Do you know, and if we didn't have that, all them people wouldn't have got to say, I suppose, goodbye to David. And like even now his mom will be chatting and be like, do you know what it was like? The going away party was supposed to happen. We did so much in Vancouver. Do you know, he said this place is paradise. And there's way more things like that when I look back. And he gave me, I suppose, a big sign for me was um, at the lake, he sent me a dragonfly. And I found the most beautiful poem about a washer beetle and a dragonfly. I don't know, have you ever heard of it? Oh, well, I suppose it sums up what I'm trying to say. I'll just give you a little synopsis. So it's a poem about a water beetle and the water beetle is telling all of its friends that, you know, when the water beetle climbs up the stem and transforms into a dragonfly, that it's going to come back into the water and it's going to tell all of its friends that it's okay. And I suppose how the poem keeps going on, the water beetle climbs up the stem and he's the most biggest wings and he feels so free and he's soaring. And then for a quick moment, he remembers his friends down in the water, but he doesn't feel the same way he felt, you know, when he was in the water. Now he feels free and he feels different like and, and he's big and he's got these big wings and he knows that it's OK that he can't go down to tell his friends because he's actually he's feeling He's feeling this freedom he had never felt before. I know for me that David sent me that poem to tell me to be like, here, like my physical body left, but my soul is eternal. My love, our love cannot die, you know, and and actually, you know, I am free. I And like, it brings me so much. And even when I think about it now, I'm like, it just, I think it's a really beautiful way to sum up, you know, but I suppose... When we're in the depths of it, it can be really hard to, to see it that way or to, to it comes with healing, I think. Absolutely. I, I think that's gorgeous that I'm going to look up that poem after we're speaking as well. Um, it sounds so beautiful. And the more I've been talking to people who've been going through grief, the more people can turn to a spirituality. don't think a lot of people would class it as that either. But I think that people are more open to the ideas of life not being the end for us. And that brings them a lot of peace. What would you say to the people who are just like, absolutely not, I don't don't believe in any of that, don't want to think about any of that. Like, talking to you now, I can see how much it's brought you comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose for me, like, that's what has brought me comfort and if you are into this, I think it will find you. I believe on a deeper level, grief can actually be gifted to us in order for us to grow spiritually and, and mentally and emotionally. Um, because again, I like to share the depths and the lows that I was in because when I sit now and I'm recording this, I have a gratitude and awareness of life I didn't have. And I believe that is open to everyone. We're not just picked like there's nothing special about me, but it has to be, I suppose, a journey you have to be willing to go on. You know, like I had to be willing to sit in to them really deep, dark emotions and to be willing to question things and look at things that there's absolutely no logic. Do you know, there's no logic to any of this. And I suppose grief is hard enough I, without, I suppose, you trying to do it someone else's way. So I suppose what I'd really say is do do it your way. 
But one thing that makes me really, really, really sad is, you know, you spoke about the armour there. Like, I believe there's so many people who choose to walk through the rest of their life here and they leave their armour on. And nobody deserves to do that again. You know, your your loved one, you know, you've lost them. You know, you don't deserve to lose yourself as well. And your loved one does definitely not want you to do that. And I suppose from my perspective, I think that happens a lot more commonly than people who take their armour off. Would you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I do. And and to be honest, this whole analogy, it, it's only got me thinking while we're talking here. And I'm like, that is so, so accurate. And then when you say, I don't know if I believe that people choose to, I, I feel like some people maybe don't have a choice and they're just so in despair. I mean, is there situations where your life kind of is over, depending on who you've lost? I, I don't know, that's a question. Yeah, I suppose so maybe funny. not the word choice, but what I would have learned on this, like I believe, you know, I could have chosen to still be in the depths there and believe that what happened to me was awful. And even though it was very tragic, life was still going on. You know, life wasn't going to stop because that happened to me. I still, you know, get sad and I still have feelings of grief do you know it's not that you get to a point where you're like right that's it I've healed grief that would be amazing but that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not reality I suppose I would do a I do some one-to-one work with people going through grief and I don't think they choose but I think the guilt can be bigger and sometimes it can be oh well if I feel good or if I do this am I am I denying my loved one who has passed on or to know that that guilt can be a really big thing. They deserve, like we all deserve, not even to take it off fully, but to let some of it go. Because only when you can let some of that heaviness go, can you call in some of the light, lighter feelings. Do you know, it? I don't know, does that make more sense? It, it does, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, totally, and I'm open, I'm open to all different kind of views and ways that people deal with grief. So yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And you know what I think as well, it is where it comes in someone's grieving journey. So someone, someone's grieving journey, the depths of despair, because I do believe that everyone goes into the depths of despair when they, when they lose a loved one, like a, and whether that lasts the first few months or the first few years. And I think then if it continues, then maybe it's that, armor that won't come off. I think it's fascinating how you talk about your grief and how you talk about your story and it it radiates from you how much work that you've put into yourself and how much work that you've put into healing from the experiences that you've had and that really really shines through. I suppose I'm so passionate because a version of me I swear to God sometimes I think about her and I'm like I really did not want to be here. Like I really did not want to be alive and to be where I am. It gives me so much fire. I'm like, I can do that. So can, so can other people. Like I believe so can everyone. And I was actually at a grief thing a few weeks ago and it was a wellness retreat and everyone was sharing how they got on or whatever, what they thought. And when it got to me, I just was an emotional mess. I couldn't stop crying. And the lady doing it was like, oh my God, Kira, I have never seen you cry like that. And she goes, are you okay? And I was like, I was just so devastated for everybody in the room because everyone was sharing, I suppose, their grief and believing that like it was always going to feel like this or you know that their life do you know and I remember being like oh my god I said no do you know not that you get rid of grief you wouldn't want to get rid of grief grief is all the love you have for that person that you know me and David only for him (laughs) I've got this far like I talk to him every single day but that it can get easier and that joy can come back in love can come back in you know and you know, I suppose I've met a good few people that it can actually give you permission to be like, well, actually, this really hard thing has happened in my life. 
who do I want to be here? Like, you know, the worst thing that has happened, people may change careers, you know, and you do hear that as well. So I suppose I have faith and believe that everyone can, if, if it's something that feels right to them. And I believe, you know, our loved ones in spirit, like that's all they want. And if we ask them to help us, magic happens. Absolutely. I think turning point for me was when I stopped thinking about what I wanted, which was this not to have happened, to not be living my life without my mum, for my mum not to have died um, and not to be here. And started to think what my mum would have wanted, which was me to be happy and me to be living my life and me to be growing my family and me to be giving my my family the experiences and joys that she had given us from, you know, as we were growing up. And when I started focusing on I would picture her, you know, looking at me, being like, Sarah, come on. There's holidays to be had. There's experiences to be had. There's joy to be had. And just because I'm gone, it's unfair of you to do that to your family. Like you you have to give them a good life. You have to give yourself a good life. And that's when it really started to change for me where I was like, I would be doing her a disservice if I wasn't living the life that she wanted for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I do get from David as well. <laughs> I do I do laugh thinking he's keeping me busy here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just have one last question for you before you go, because we've been, we've been chatting for ages. I feel like we could chat for hours anyway. But I want to talk just a bit more about your book, which you launched two years ago now, and, and Miracles Appear When Loved Ones Are Near, which I just think is a gorgeous, gorgeous title. Was writing a part of your healing within your grief journey is that how the book kind of came about were you kind of jotting things down on a daily basis of how you're feeling or what was happening around you how does that come to fruition yeah so um I was never really a writer but um yeah I think it was when we came back to Ireland I just started writing down how I was feeling and it was, I, I suppose I didn't know what else to do with these mad feelings. And I wrote it down. And I remember a few months later, it was actually David's dad was reading, was using it to write in a number for someone who's helping us search. And he ended up reading it. And he's like, oh my God, Kira, like, what the hell? It was like, you just brought me back to a moment. He hadn't even been there. And I remember being mortified, being like, oh my God. But anyway, yeah, I suppose writing was a way for me to just get some of them mad things that were going on in my head down on paper. I never, ever expected to write a book. When I spoke to you about January to June, you know, the time after I'd surrendered and, and it being massive, like I'd, I'd, a massive inner transformation, I went to Australia and I remember I kept getting this message and I kept getting it from David and I didn't know how I was receiving it or it was very intuitive. It's like, you need to write a book. You need to share your journey. You need to share, again, the depths of the loss and the pain, and but then share the hope and the magic and put the two together. And when I came back, I started writing and again, didn't know how any of this was going to happen. And the first time I wrote, like I wrote, literally my how it's written it's my journey from exactly finding out to what had happened to I suppose my inner journey and it was so synchronistic I remember saying right David this is how I would talk to David now about right David I was like I'll write this but like you need to send me the right people you need to put all the things in my path and every single thing just came like that like, I mean, there was no logic to any of this. Like, I just found the publishers. I remember meditating and I remember I kept hearing the name Susan, Susan, Susan. And I remember thinking, who is Susan? Like, who is Susan? And I'd be in my car, like, who's Susan? And Susan was the lady from the publisher who helped me. And I remember, like, you know, at times I, I'd be very open. Like, I just... I think I just share who I am. And I remember telling her, I was like, oh my God, David told me Susan was going to come. And I'd say she was like, your one is as mad as a bag of cats. But uh, <laughs> anyway, as she started writing the book, 
things started happening for her and she'd be ringing me and be like, words are like moving here on the document or like, I'm telling you, I was thinking of a song and it's playing. And I just said to her, I said, do you see what I mean about like Dave, the connection with David and how he's guiding all of this? Because I was very clear to them. I said, this is coming from a bigger place than me. And she was like, Kira, she goes, I'm not into any of this. But she said, David, she said, I can feel it's it just was so guided and I suppose I suppose the purpose of it was like that to give hope and faith to others you know sometimes we hear the sad story and you know that's all we hear we don't hear the other side of it the bit where there was signs there was hope there was miracles like we found him and then there was growth and there was healing so David most definitely guided it and if you read the book, you'll get a really good insight and to share like all the signs and synchronicities and magic, I'd have to record like an audiobook podcast. <laughs> I am so, so, so beyond grateful of my journey here because it's just, it's been bizarre, but like there's been, there's been a lot of magic and for me now, like, you know, even a few weeks ago, like I do get messages from people who are in the depths of grief. And like one lady said to me, she goes, I read your book and it ignited my spark for life again. And I remember getting that. And I remember being like, right, David, I said, I don't care where you have to put me, but you, we need to make sure that if there's three people out there could have that impact or any just any impact and then a few days later I got um got in contact with Kathy from Grief Ireland so my life has been like that the last few years it's like things just happen it just flows and for me I believe it would be very unfair of me to go through what I went through and then to, to have this growth and have this insight and to not share it with other people if it inspires them to maybe make one little change in their life. I just believe we need to have chats about grief and loss and yeah we just need to I suppose have open conversations really like the one we're having today. I think that sounds Absolutely gorgeous, Kara, And I am going to leave a link in the show notes to where people can buy it. But I, I can't wait to read it myself as well. I think you touched on there what you said about hope. And it's come up quite a few times from speaking to people. And I think that's beautiful to be able to give people yeah. in the depths of their grief, despair, um, to give them hope. So thank yeah. you. Thank you so much, Kara. Thank you. I just want to say a huge thank you to Kira for coming on today and sharing her story. It's not easy. But I've no doubt that David has been by her side through it all. If you'd like to connect with Kira, you can do so on Instagram at Kira underscore OM wellness. And here you'll also find links to buy her book and to listen to her podcast. And if you haven't already, you can follow us on Instagram under Life's Too Short Podcast to keep up to date on the release of season two. If you have enjoyed listening to this series, I'd ask that you please consider rating and reviewing on whatever platform you're listening in on. It really, really helps us as a new podcast to reach the audience that we're trying to reach. The final words to leave you with today has been inspired by all my guests on this series. There's been a recurrent theme throughout each episode and that theme is hope. So it feels right to leave you with a quote about hope today. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening into season one. And I can't wait to see you back here for season two.